Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Back in the big little books starting tonight. We're in the book of Haggai, or as some folks say, Haggai. This is Big Little Books, part 47, Haggai, part 1, chapter 1. Let me say a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Where would we be without your word, Lord? I pray that you would open our, our spirits, Lord, open our eyes to see the truth that's in here, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... Uh, It has been a while, and Haggai is the first of the post-exilic minor prophets, meaning this is after the Babylonian exile, the captivity. And so he's the first of the post-exile minor prophets. Remember, there are 12 minor prophets. They're often called the 12. And the first nine prophesied before Judah was carried away to Babylon. And the last three prophesied after their 70-year exile. The three post-exilics are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And so we're in Haggai, and we're going to jump right in with chapter 1, verse 1. You know, I thought, prayed about it, that's a good place to start. Chapter 1, verse 1. So here we go. I was just testing to see if anybody was listening. So, in the second year of King Darius, some say Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying... So let's stop right there. In the second year of King Darius. So Haggai time stamps his prophecy. We see from Haggai 1.1 as well as verse 15. Haggai 2 verses 1, 10, and 20. That his prophecy began, and we know the date. It began September of 520 B.C. James Montgomery Boyce says this concerning that. Gone was the glory of the former kingdom and temple. Gone was the great population. All that was left was the rubble of Jerusalem, the remnant of the people, and the task of restoration. So this is them coming back, trying to figure out where to go from here. They had lost 70 years in Babylon. And so in 586 B.C., King Cyrus of Persia allowed the exiled Jews to return to Jerusalem after those 70 years in captivity. And then two years later, in 536 B.C., construction on the temple began, and it was led by the innovative soul and the charisma and the courage of a guy named Zerubbabel. And after only two years... So they they start this project after only two years, the work stopped. And for 14 years, it stopped. And then in 520 B.C., 
the work resumed, and finally, four years later in 516 B.C., the temple was completed. And we see this from the book of Ezra, verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 15. So the dates are given to us, and they're given, you know, in the Old Testament, very often you get dates because it'll say King so-and-so was on the throne. And usually that's a, a Jewish king. There was no Jewish king. So it, we get the dates based on the pagan king, the non-Jewish king who's on the throne. So it's King Darius. And the reason why is, you know, there was no king in Israel. So Spurgeon says this, there is a set time for each of his messages to come to men, and God would have them give heed to every message as soon as it is delivered to them. If they do not, he keeps count of the days of their delay. So they started building, and then they stopped, and they stopped building for 14 years. We'll see this as we get into it. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, it says. So these are difficult years, challenging years. It's the return from the exile. God speaks to his people through the prophet Haggai. Now Haggai's mentioned twice in the book of Ezra. Uh, the, uh, Ezra was a priest who was overseeing the work of rebuilding the temple. Uh, notice this, Ezra 5, I didn't give you these verses. Ezra 5, 1 through 2, and then Ezra 6, 14. Ezra 5, 1 and 2. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, uh, the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jezadak, rose up and began to rebuild or to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And then that next, Ezra 6, 14. So the elders of the Jews, and they, uh, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Idu, and it goes on and on. And he gives you the time, Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So the name Haggai is, is mentioned in other places in the Bible, in, in the prophecies specifically dealing with this era and the history concerning this era. His name, it, it means, it's probably an abbreviated form of a word or some words that mean festival of Yahweh. And some believe because of that he was born on a, a feast day, like a big holy day, holiday as we would say, uh, when, when, when he got that name. Zerubbabel, Joshua or Yeshua, Haggai introduces us to two instrumental fellas, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem. He was a descendant of the last legitimate ruler of Judah, Jeconiah, and Joshua was the high priest. So now we're in verse 2. Are you with me? Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Now, the Lord of hosts, that's the God of the angel armies. So the Lord mentions the angels of the Lord. And then he uses the phraseology, this people says, the time has not come. The time has not come. So Haggai 
gives this first word, September of 520 B.C. And at that time, the exiles had been back in Jerusalem for 18 years, but the work of rebuilding the temple had been stopped for 14 years. So, let me ask you this. Have you ever started a project... Some of you, I guarantee you, have started a project, and 14 years later, it was still not done. I got a few like that. So you start, you got great intentions. A lot of excitement when you start, and then it fades. It, and for whatever reason or whatever reasons, you have a hard time finishing. I was at a funeral last night, flew up yesterday morning. I was there last night, flew back today, and it was a funeral of a dear friend of mine, Rick May, and Rick was this phenomenal musician, legendary in the music business, the industry, played for everybody and his brother, including Donovan Hill. The thing is, we were childhood friends, teenage friends, and we did a lot of music together, traveled a lot, played a lot. And that was when we were very young. And then after I recorded my first album, it's an amazing story. Rick calls me, he's in the hospital, and he was inspired, and he felt like the Lord prompted him, and he, he called me, and he said, Donovan, I'm going to record your next album. I was like, really? He said, yes, I'm instructed, like, this is what I got to do. He said, I want you, and my kids were my band, Caleb and Lizzie, and uh, he said, I want you guys to come up to my studio. It's like all, everything's on the house. I'm going to record this album for you. And I'm like, this is amazing because Rick was one of the most talented men that I knew. He, the best drummer I ever played with of all time ever. Phenomenal. Again, toured with everybody. And uh, could play anything. He was just amazing. He was amazing. Uh, a lot of big folks were at the funeral last night. Just It was a big deal. Anyhow, Rick's like, I want to record this album. I was so excited. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is awesome. Yes. And so we made the trip, man. Me and the kids took our white minivan all the way to Ohio. We were in the studio. We recorded, record. We made all kinds of trips. We recorded and recorded and recorded and recorded. We recorded tons of stuff and never finished the album. We never finished. Now, I came out with two more albums, but Rick wasn't at the helm. We, we never finished all that. I've got CDs of unfinished product projects and songs that we did but it wasn't time wasted we developed a lot of the songs my kids got to meet Rick play with Rick like it was just it was really cool but I'm just gonna tell you right now there are some projects it's just hard to keep the inspiration up long enough to finish the project it's just tough and you know it, whether it's you know you're working on the house do it yourself you're working on the yard you're working on, you're going to build something. You decide you're going to save money. That's always a trick to me. I'm going to save money and I'm going to build something. Uh, that's usually not going to happen. It's I'm going to waste money, try to build it, and then get somebody else to build it. So you, you know what I mean. Like, Well, in Judah, the work started with a bang. Ezra 3, 10 through 11 paints this picture for us. I mean, it starts with a bang. When the builders, this is Ezra 3, 10 and 11. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals. 
to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And the crowd would say, and his mercy endures forever. That's what it means, responsively. For he is good, and the Lord, his mercy endures forever. And then all the people shouted with a great, great shout. So they're shouting, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. So it starts literally with shouting, with trumpets, with music, with just people just rejoicing. This is amazing. The foundation was laid. But after two years, nobody, nobody shouted. The work stopped. They were distracted. They had a lack of focus. And the project just ran off the rails, man. And uh, there was only a foundation, and they managed to build an altar, which really is preachable. You know, they started with the foundation and the altar. That's great, but they, that's all they got. They, they didn't finish. And, and he said, the Lord of hosts is, is saying this. My angels were helping you. You didn't realize how much, but, you know, when you went to Home Depot or when you went to Lowe's to... To get to negotiate on that, or you call the contract, the angels of the Lord were helping you. I was helping you. This is so relevant, by the way, right? with our building project going on. It was not planned this way, but just I'm thinking, I'm looking out here seeing pallets, and you know, uh, it's like the angels of the Lord, I'm here to help, you know, but you stopped. You stopped. And so he says, he says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says, the time has come, or has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not time. It's just not time. The people says. The people says. Now, God had miraculously gotten these people out of Babylon and back into Judah. I mean, angels of the Lord were involved in that. He got them home to Jerusalem. And um, yet they told themselves, it's not yet time to finish the temple. And, and here, here's the deal. They had some solid reasoning. Okay, check this out. They hadn't settled on their insurance claim yet. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. The land was still desolate after 70 years of neglect. Fair enough. Uh, the work was hard. It was difficult. They didn't have a lot of money. Haggai 1.6 talks about this. They didn't have a lot of manpower. They suffered crop failures and drought. Haggai 1.10.11 says this. We'll see it. Hostile enemies resisted the work. You got this in Ezra. You know they're working against them. Devil's working against them, stirring up people against them. And they just remember how easy it was in Babylon, so it just made them lazy. They just, they just backed off. The excitement fizzled. And so they started saying, well, it's just not time. It's not. We're waiting on the right time. Does that sound familiar? Right. Just waiting on the right time. That's what I tell Valerie when, you know, I'm, I'm watching TV or watching a football game. She's like, you need to do this. I'm like, it's just not the right time. It's, it's a bad time. Just, right? We got, right? Preach on that, huh? That's good. Yeah, just it's a bad time. And so that's what they're doing. They, they didn't want to do it. The time's not come. It's just not the right time. Guzik points out, the people made their excuse sound spiritual. 
So here's the deal. They couldn't speak out against the need to rebuild the temple. I mean, the call to do it. So they spoke out against the timing. They said, it's just not the right time. I just feel in the spirit, it's just not the right time. I mean, there were these great obstacles, legitimate excuses. But let's see them for what they were. Excuses. They began to rationalize that it's just not time. So there was, they stopped and they, they quit, they quit building. So if it's so hard, evidently God doesn't want us to do it. Well, that's a fallacy. Sometimes God asks you to do hard things, things you don't want to do, things you got to roll up your sleeves about. There's opposition you have to resist. There's a price that has to be paid. And, and, and we can't get out of it. It's not like, well, it's just not the time. You know, it's we got to say, okay, I'll do what you've asked me to do, even if it costs me, even if there's resistance, I'll push through it anyway. So they made it sound all, um, you know, spiritual, but it wasn't. And uh, check this out. Some of them may have used Scripture in their favor. I know you would never use the Bible to justify what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do. But you can make the Bible say anything. You really can. And so they very likely used some theology to justify their stopping uh, from the construction project. They're, they're ceasing. They're backing off. So here's, here's what I mean by that. Seventy years. When did it start? And when did it end? Now, we looked at this in big little books, or actually when we went through the book of Daniel, we looked at this specifically from uh, Daniel chapter 9. There were three ways of captivity, 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and 587 B.C. So some early, some middle, some late. And when Daniel prayed in Daniel 9, Daniel was bold and just prayed that the 70 years of captivity in Babylon started with the first round. He's like, I'm not waiting until like everybody got taken away captive. When the first ones went, that's when the countdown started. That's when we were in Babylonian captivity. Which tells me a couple things. Number one, every soul counts. It wasn't like, well, we, we only lost, you know, a half a dozen. Or we only lost 10,000 out of half a million. No, when the first ones went into captivity, Daniel just said, that's, Lord, that's when the captivity began. And the Lord granted that, honored that, and said, you're right, yes. That's the early date, the first captives that's when the 70-year countdown began. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Because they were going to be in Babylon for 70 years. It had been prophesied. And Daniel's studying the book of Jeremiah, and he's like, God, what does this mean? And the Lord dispatches, the Lord of hosts dispatches an angel with the answer to his Bible question about 70 years. He had been studying Jeremiah, and he's looking at it. He's like, I think we're right here at 70 years. Are we at 70 years, Lord? And he begins to pray, 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 pray. 21 days he prays about it. The first day the Lord dispatches Gabriel with the message, 
and he's resisted by the prince of Persia, and he has to call for help, Michael the archangel, and he fights his way, and he comes, and he's like, the first day that you prayed, God heard you because he loves you, man of God, and here's the answer. The answer is, yeah, yeah, 70 years, we're right at it. Gave him the answer, and so the early, the middle, or the late date made a difference, and so uh, here's the deal. The children of Israel, the people from Judah, they were saying, very likely, they were saying, well, let's just say it's probably that later date. It's an 18-year difference. So it's like, well, you know, we started prematurely, you know, at that early date, this would be 70 years, but we probably got ahead of our skis, and so we're just going to, it's going to be down here. Uh We've got another, you know, four or five more years. Because they're 14 years in waiting. That's my point. So you've got this big span. And so they are going, they're finding a biblical reason to justify why they weren't building the temple. Now, what do I get out of that? There's got to be some kind of application, a hermeneutic for this. What's the application? The app- what about us? How aggressive are we with the things of God and the kingdom of God? Do we put it all in God's court? Like, well, if you want me to have it, then you'll let me have it. You know, I <laughs> just but thank you, Jesus. But, you know, we want people to be healed. But if God, you know, I don't lay hands on people, that's for sure. We want God to bless us financially, but we don't tithe and give offerings. We just, you know, we want God to just bless, pour out, open the windows of heaven, you know. But we don't do our part. We're not aggressive. You know, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What do we want? These people were finding a reason to justify well, they weren't being obedient. They weren't even leaning towards obedience, as we'll see here in a minute. So what about us? And then he says, this people. It's not really good when God says to his people, this people. You know, instead of H-I-S, it's T-H-I-S. This people. It's like your son. When, you know, Valerie says that to me, uh, well, you know what your son did back in the day, you know? Alexander, well, Alexander never did anything wrong. But like Caleb, that's a joke. Caleb does something stupid, you know, and she's like, well, you know what your son did? This people, God says of his people, this people, this people, instead of my people. Well, the reason why is because they were full of excuses, and their poor priorities proved that they were not living like his people. It was not like father, like son. It's like, what in the world are y'all doing? You know, it's like God started, God started the building project by saying the 70 years is done. It's time to go. They go. And then they just, they just back off. And he's like, here I am. I want to help you. We should remember also, that these people, they were not bad people. This people was not bad people. All right? Hundreds of thousands of people went into Babylonian captivity, but only 50,000 returned. And they were the most committed ones to the Lord and to the restoration of Jerusalem. They had a say-so in this. It's just that they had been beaten down for so long that 
you know, the, the zest, their endurance was low. Are you with me? It's awful quiet in this church tonight. Um, I, you know, I found that time takes a toll. Defeat, peace is missing. Like if we don't get renewed in the Lord, then those past losses can, can take away from our endurance. We can get excited about a start, but then we just kind of, you know, back down. And that's what they were doing. Verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves? Now, this is why people like killed the prophets. What he's about to say right here. This is why they ended up, you know, greasy spots on the road. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? So this is a moment of truth. This is a calling out. He's flat calling them out. So this is the word of the Lord that comes to Haggai. Haggai had a choice to make, y'all. He could have said, oh, man, that's, that's hard. That's hard words, Lord. That's difficult. Let's dial it back a little bit. Like, hey, fellas, you know, how y'all like in your houses? Why, why, why don't we, like, build the Lord a house? But instead, it's very confrontational, very confrontational. Sometimes we need confrontation. We need a confrontation from the word of the Lord to, to move us off of high center. Do you know what high center is? Back in the day, you know, we go mudding and stuff, and, and you get those ruts, and, and sometimes the ruts would get so deep that you'd go high center, meaning the wheels couldn't get enough traction to move forward. And they couldn't get enough traction to move forward. And so they needed the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord comes. And Haggai is a brave prophet. So he says the word. The Lord heard the excuses and their poor priorities. And he had something to say. And he gave that word to Haggai the prophet. So probably Haggai had an argument with God. I don't want to say that. Or Lord, you want to say that? You say it to him yourself. Yourself, you know. And the Lord's like, no, you're, you're my prophet. You say it. I called you to be a prophet. So he says it. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? I think about houses back in the day. You know, we used to love paneling. And I don't mean, you know, I know there's like, you know, the bougie wood paneling in the study or the library. Big, thick window pane. But then there was, you know, the paneling that you bought at Kmart, right? You kind of, you can staple it up, right? It's awesome, you know. Get the paneling up. Man, we used to love, that's not what this means here. It's not the El Cheapo paneling. This is bougie. <coughs> this is like our lobby's going to be. It says, you know, your paneled houses. So the word of the Lord comes and the idea is you're telling me it's not time to build my house when your actions are saying it's time to build something. I mean, look at your houses. They're just building these big old nice houses. Solomon started by building the temple, and then he built the palace. Now, he spent 14 years on his own house and seven years on the temple, but probably that was because he was in a hurry 
because Solomon's temple was phenomenal. And so he spent more time on his house, but he spent more money on the temple. And so we see from Solomon that the house of God came first. So, and this temple to lie in ruins. So you live in your bougie house, the temple lies in ruins. That's how I felt, honestly, through this entire <laughs> uh, insurance thing. I'm like, my house is in good shape. I didn't get any uh, hurricane damage at my house. And yet the church is falling apart. It's like, this what made me so mad. Well, that's what they're getting. They're seeing it like this. The Lord's saying this to them, like, your house is nice. My house is in ruins. And the real problem was, though, that they were living in luxury and fine to do it and just let the house of the Lord, the foundation, the altar, just get vines growing over it, critters walking all over it. And so it was a, it was a matter of priorities. Their priorities were wrong. My priorities were not. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, it killed me. I wanted to sell my house, take the proceeds, and fix this. But anyhow, God's helped us. We're moving forward. Uh, they were they were content, though, to just, you know, let the Lord's house stay in ruins. Now, it's easy to see how this happened over 14 years. At first, the work is stopped because it's hard and there's, uh, you know, opposition, some obstacles in the process. Uh, you know, we can't get much done at the temple. I'm, I'm tired of uh, living in a wreck personally. I think I'm going to do some work on my home. I, I, there's, I got to, you know, I got to take care of my house. Uh, I, 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 would, I would give more to the construction of the temple, but, you know, my money's tied up, my, my HELOC. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not living extravagantly. You know, look at the other houses in the neighborhood. Uh, look at all the chariots in the driveways. You know, we don't have a very extravagant, but I got to take care of my house and not the temple and on and on. They, they, they were excuses. These were all excuses. And God calls them out and says, listen, we've got to get, we got to get my house built. The, the prophet Haggai is like an alarm clock. How annoying is an alarm clock? And children, like your iPhones and stuff, like, that's not annoying. Y'all get, like, those nice, you know, that's your alarm. Back in the day, for some of us, right, we had that old radio clock thing with those red digital numbers on it. I go back, staying at my grandma's, man, I had that big old West Clock clock with the doggone bells on it that you wound up. And you set that alarm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I should have put it on the screen, make keep, keep you with me. That old bell alarm, you know, it's like just so loud. And that digital alarm that I woke up, you know, in the 70s and 80s, my mom and dad had that old clock alarm thing, and it would be like, you know, just unbelievable. I I heard that alarm in my room from my mom and dad's room. On the other side of the house, just so loud, man, just, and, and then, and you know, you said it to the radio, too, but mom and dad didn't do that. Um, and, and that's what Haggai was, uh, an alarm clock. 
he was an alarmist. And it's, uh, he's giving the word of the Lord. And they, they, had, uh, they had to deal with this. One writer says this, many Christians are like those ancient Hebrews, somehow convincing themselves that economy and constructing church buildings is all important while at the same time sparing no expense in acquiring their personal luxuries. That's a guy named Alden. I thought that was pretty funny. Poole says this, and I, yeah, let me move on. Uh, Poole says this regarding the houses. It seems to intimate some of them uh, had more than one house, a city and a country house, while God had one house lying in waste. They thus lavish out their wealth on private worldly conveniences, but grudge their charge against God's house. Do you owe so much to yourselves and so little to your God? It's pretty strong. So we'll finish with uh, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, are you with me? Isn't this exciting? We're going to get our groove back on big little books. Verses 5 through 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in a little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. This is a very famous passage. Consider your ways. It's a Hebrew figure of speech. And it literally means put your heart on the roads. He's like consider your ways which direction is your heart moving in where are you headed and do you really want to go there you know it's like the lord saying really this is where you want to go he says you've sown much and bring in little the cause of their financial difficulties was their wrong priorities they suffered setback after setback because the blessing of God wasn't on their pocketbook. And I might add, the angels of the Lord were not working on their behalf. Haggai described a double curse. Instead of much, little was reaped. And the little that was brought home melted away without doing any good. Earns wages to put it in a bag with holes, he said. Again, Boyce says this. I do not know of any passage in the Bible that better describes the feverish yet ineffective activity of our own age. So we have these judgments that are happening. The, the power of God, the angels of the Lord are waiting on his word. They, they look to perform his word. They're, they're wanting to cooperate. They're our fellow servants. They give heed to the word of the Lord. They're wanting to help Get the temple built and bless the socks off these people. That's the irony of it all. They could have had the temple and their houses. Maybe even their country house and their city house. And the temple. If they would have had more to put in the bag and the bag wouldn't have had holes. But because they had prioritized themselves instead of the things of God. Come on now. They earned money, yes, but they put it in a bag with holes. So they didn't get enough. And they put it in a bag and lost stuff that could have been adding up. And he's like, you got to consider your ways. Again, he's an alarm clock. He's waking them up. Wait a second. You got these houses you've invested so much in. You could have had more. You've neglected the house of the Lord. Priorities are everything. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You've got to put first. I've got to put first. We have to put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's in every department. And that includes our finances. I said that kind of funny, but you, you get what I'm saying. The finances, the monies, the monies, the monies. So, well, we'll pick that up. Why don't you stand with me right now? Now, this, you have sown much, but you bring in little. And you earn wages, you put it in a bag with holes. This, all of that is fulfilling what God had said hundreds of years before during the time of Moses, Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17. The people of Israel were being judged and they didn't even realize they were under a judgment. They wrote it all off as bad luck, tough economic times, and it's just not God's timing. So they wrote it all off under that. But the problem was their priorities were out of order, out of sync. They weren't in alignment with God. And so they were suffering as a result of that. He said, you drink and are not filled with drink. Nothing satisfies. Because their priorities were wrong. Amen. God wants our priorities straight. If he wanted them to have their priorities straight. I mean, and they were under an old covenant with lesser promises. And Christ has come now, fulfilled the law. And we're his sons and daughters. I mean, doesn't he want us to have our priorities straight? course he does and the promises that are made to us are just extraordinary the every good and perfect gift I mean forgiveness of sins healing a financial blessing peace I mean satisfaction a walk with God prayers that work to, to make a difference in this world, the kingdom of God. I, I don't want to, uh, I just don't want to, I don't want to, and I'm done. I just, I don't want to be the guy that church is not a priority. And it's just, it's just uh, a side hustle. And as a result, I, I don't get what I ought to get. And what I do get, I put it in a bag that's like putting, it's got holes in it. I want to be the guy that church is a priority. Like if the Lord Jesus is my priority. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. The ecclesia, man, the called out ones, the brothers and sisters, forsake not the assembling yourselves together, man. Like when the church comes together, the power of God should move. Sinners walk in and they say, God is amongst you of a truth and fall to their knees and repent, turn to God. Power of God, I want that. That's my priority. And for all of that to come to pass, it's, I, I got to chase that. And all this stuff, he said, I'll add all that to you. I know what you need. I'll take care of you. You want to you reap more? You want to keep more? You want the blessing of God to flow in a profound way? 
instead of just a, a drizzle here and there. Prioritize my work, and I'll prioritize your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Father, I thank you. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.